Yeah, and once that happens, you better have your underground RV bunker because <laughs> that's the only your life's place you over. Can run to. Yeah. Yeah, your life's over at that point. You are you are the rest of your life. You're on the run as a fugitive. You, how's that gonna How's that gonna work? Especially if there's digital. How are you gonna get anything? How you? There's no, yeah, no part I, of it that's credible. No. And I, you know, I listened to that podcast. I know what you're talking about. The the one that you just mentioned. Because I remember it was probably on my second or third day of binging your podcast. It might have been episode like 20 or something. And uh, I didn't see it as you caved. I thought that you were literally like hunkered down in your basement. And you finally were blackpilled and came to this realization because I've thought about it two years ago as well. When Before the jabs were even announced. I said, holy shit, this is it. This is what they're going to do. What's the decision you know, what decision am I going to make? Because there's only two options. One is right. you're going to try to escape or go on the run and hide underground. Or two, you're going to end up taking it. If not, they're going to kill you. Then on top of it, I was able to see that they had jabs coming, uh, ability to access you by shoving a Q-tip up into your brain. Then they got right. all the Trumpers on board with ivermectin and these pills and those pills and these pills. And I said, any way you look at it, these guys are trying to enter your body. You know, and, right. and so they can give you whatever people feared this would be, whether a, an immediate death pill or a slow death pill or nanorobots they're putting into your body or whatever it may be. They figured out how to get, I, I mean, almost everyone I know that was not vaxxed because they were either just against it for common sense or they're like me. Many of those people I know went and got tests, force tested because they had to for work. So they gained access to your body one way or another. And when the test was already admitted to that, it like doesn't the PCR doesn't even work. And all these other ones have false positives. You go, well, why are they continuing to want to shove a probe into your brain? Like there has to be scrub it around on your membrane next to your brain. What? I would never. The test was another one I was going to continue to resist until such time as I couldn't. That's it. Yeah. I wasn't doing any of that stuff until then. Um, You know, the reason I made that show was because. It was a bad situation. I was depressed. I was thinking, well, my life is is over because I'm not going to take this shot. And there's not going to be an option. My kind of, it was kind of my, uh, I guess, a very (laughs) kind of twisted white pill in that, well, okay, well, look, worst case scenario is I've resisted as much as I can. All right, well, I'll roll a dice, you know, play a little Russian roulette with the jab or the thing. Well, okay, well, I will because my only other option is it's over. And so... You know, maybe maybe I get a blank. Maybe they don't kill me. Maybe I'm not really that susceptible. Maybe all sorts of things. But whatever it is, I just kind of resign myself to that being my process as opposed to it's just my life is over. It'll be mm. like, well, I'm going to do it. And maybe my life won't be over. And maybe it will. But I'm not going to at least I'm not going to just put a gun in my mouth at that point. I'm not going to. And I'm not going to go out and just start shooting cops. See, that's not me. I'm not going to do that. I know me. I'm realistic about it. And uh, I just got so tired of having so many people tell me that they were going to do that. So many people tell me they're going to go out in this big blaze of glory. And I, I'm sorry, but any of these people, they need to go read those uh, research papers they did when they checked on those soldiers in World War II and they've... The army was terrified that most of them weren't even firing their weapon. That scared the shit out of them. And they changed the way they tried to train people. If you're not trained, you're not ready. If you think you're just going to go on some shooting rampage because they're coming, that's not going to happen. That's a very rare person. 
Yeah, like Rambo. <laughs> right, yeah, highly trained murderer. He's a killer. He's been doing it forever. And even those people, they get all twisted. But some housewife, she's going to go grab a gun. Some dude that works at an insurance company, he's going to get a gun and just start barricading in with his family in the house. And well, That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Yeah, I, I had a pact uh, about a year and a half ago. I had a pact with five people. I said, that's it. We're all walks of life. We knew each other. So we're not getting it. After about a month, I was the last one standing. So. <laughs> there you go. There I you swear go. to God, my brother-in-law's father, he's like this hippie. He looks like George Carlin. And uh, he goes, no, man, I'm not doing it, man. I'm not going to do it. I'm not taking it, man. Screw Joe Biden, man. I don't care what my wife says, man. And a week later... He goes, yeah, I got it, man. My wife made me get it. I went down there. At least they gave me a real nice sandwich and a donut, though, man. I'm like, wow. oh, my God. So let me just ask you, because another big theme on your show, and this is for anybody who still believes that the Constitution is going to save us. It's just in the wrong hands. The wrong people are in power. The fact that we're going to restore America, I don't even, I've been saying this for years on podcasts. I don't even know what that means. Like what America? In the beginning, we were 13 colonies, two and a half million people, only a half a million voted. Now we're 3,000 miles ride with 700 military bases around the world. So like what America are we saving? What are we restoring? Right. You bring up this point that the Constitution either was not strong enough to prevent what is occurring or it was designed to uh, allow what is occurring. I mean, what, what are your thoughts? Because you talk a lot about that in your podcast. Uh, you know, my personal opinion about it is that it was planned, that they knew exactly what this additional so-called small additional power was going to do. It's not small additional power. The step up from the Arkansas Confederation of the Constitution is huge. And the ratification vote is unbelievably sketchy. Uh, in addition to the, the entire writing process, but I don't think there's any way that a, a sophisticated lawyer, which the, a lot of those people were, can read that document and think that that document is not very easily abused, um, that it's not going to be a limited government under that. It's just not going to be. And the only way to keep it limited under that is to allow any state at any time to simply leave. And that, I think, was an assumption of anybody who was foolish enough to ratify that thing, actually vote for it. I think they all had the general assumption that, of course, you can leave as a state at any time. That if you don't like it, if it's not benefiting, you can leave. Now, they should have seen what the uh, Congress did to Rhode Island. Uh, to get an idea of why they're probably never going to be allowed to leave because of all the strong arm tactics they use to get them in. But regardless, I think you could have a case that a large number of people believed it was fine because you'd always have the option to leave. I think that's the only way to make it into a stretch that that document, as written, could ever not turn into what we see. Right. So how did the push go from the, the Declaration of Independence, which is really like a list of indictments against the king, um, go from there to the Articles of Confederation to the Constitution? So for people that, that haven't really studied history or the founding, they just like to uh, parrot things that they've heard at school or that Mark Levin taught them. 
How did they right. jump from Articles of Confederation, which was a bit more limited, to the Constitution? Yeah, I, I think I think trying to figure out exactly what happened is probably impossible, and I'm never going to study it closely enough because I would never believe I have the information in front of me because whatever whatever I would use would be a limited resource that would I mean how much how much is available today if you want to go find out how did they ever get Obamacare through how are you going to find that out what information is really going to be available and this is the digital age where you've got just it's difficult to ever get a hold of real information and even if you get documents which is the best you can ever get is a document, you don't know it's in somebody's mind. But the problem I have with the way that it's taught to people, and this I think is the important point in, in what you're asking, from at least the way I would answer it, is that people, can, do they have it in their mind that there was this war kind of for the constitution to, to have America, okay? That's not really what it was about. It was, it was basically a land scam. The entire place was a land scam and when they, prevented the colonists from continuing to move westward in like the mid, it's like 1760s or something like that. The, the king passed this, this rule that you couldn't go past the Appalachian Mountains. Well, a lot of people were counting on it. And a lot of the people who were agitators for the revolution had a lot of land, so-called, way out west that they'd never been to, that they owned and that they supposedly had rights to. And so the, I think the massive motivating factor for it was, was land. But even if you want to assume there was a decent number of people who just kind of liked being free and didn't want to be screwed around with, that's not that credible to me with these tiny tea taxes and things like that. But anyway, you get enough people going with this kind of uh, same kind of way you used to get people to join the military to go fight uh, Saddam Hussein. Uh, with, with just a, a series of lies, the same way they got, they got people to fight World War I and World War II. There's a propaganda war about what you're supposedly fighting for. And so there's a lot of people who are just fighting for something that's not even true. Nobody else in, who's running things are fighting. But it doesn't matter anyway. You fight for it. You finally win. Um, they, they love to tell us that George Washington could have been king. There's no evidence for that whatsoever. If you look at what the colonists chose, which is the Articles of Confederation, extremely decentralized, very unpowerful sort of conglomeration of the states. That's what they fought for. And then they had a period of time where they operated under that for multiple years. It's not like six months later, they had the Constitution. It wasn't an interim thing that they did that for now. We're going to get the Constitution going. There's nothing like that. And then they, they dreamed this Constitution thing up totally illegally. They had no authority to do any of it. I tell people all the time, it's the equivalent of uh, Bill Gates and Ray Kurzweil and, and the Google people and that Yuval guy and all these other people going into a room and working secretly for weeks at a time and coming out with a document that tells us and saying, well, we've figured out how we're all going to be freer now and the future, and this is what we need to do. You had to be highly suspicious of the men who were in there because tons wouldn't even go. And so what ended up happening is they teach the history as though we had this problem with England about taxes and we fought the Declaration of Independence, which was really just a PR campaign to try to get France and other countries to send us goods and, and, and war type of uh, materials. It was just a sales brochure. And then we won. And then we had the Constitution. And they kind of had this little footnote about Articles of Confederation as though the Constitution was this sort of inevitable thing where we'd be this massive country. We're going to go forward and all this other stuff. 
I don't think you could have found anybody who was on the front lines up there fighting for anything like a major country that would then go around the world and do shit. They wanted to be left alone. That's what most people were fighting for, to be left alone and to go out and be able to get land out there if they can, you know, wrestle it from the Indians. And that's just not the way it's taught anymore. And so people don't understand how we even got to the point we have the Constitution and all the very fundamental things that are different about it from the Articles of Confederation. Every single one of them is a huge game changer. And the fact that you have all of them in there, there's no way to make it work. So there's, there's no way to make it work. Oh, 100%. And the way that you just explained that is great. It, you know, you go back and if you're researching this, I mean, your research is only going to be as good as the documents and the credibility and authenticity of the documents <laughs> right. that you're studying. And that's what I tell my audience. People will, there's a lot of podcasts that cover this, you know, black nobility going back to this and the Illuminati. Are you going to do that? And I said, well, I'm, I'm actually dissecting what the technocracy, what the technocrats today are talking about and researching right. through companies they form, public companies, technology that's actually being built, money is being invested into, so that we could try to figure out where they're going with it and then how you're going to navigate it because I don't think you're going to beat it. There's no armed resistance. There's no revolution. There's definitely, I don't even know more than two people that are organized to, to bitch about it. And so I, I, I'm like, I'm not going back into all that because I don't know if it's true. And say I can go all the way back and find a vampire king back there, and he's the guy that pulls the strings. What difference does that make at this point anyway? I 100% agree. I, I tell people all the time that because they want me to talk about that kind of stuff. I'm like, look, tell me what kind of piece of evidence you could ever have that would be conclusive. You can. You don't even have evidence that it's not aliens running things at the top. And what evidence could you ever have that would show that it was, in fact, was aliens? If someone came out and said, I'm an alien, I'm in charge, would that be the evidence? Well, how would you know? If someone, if you found a document that said there's aliens in charge, is that, is that really proof? Can that cannot be faked? What evidence can you ever have about these kinds of things? You can't. And so I always stick with the stuff that's observable and you draw conclusions from what you can observe happening. And, you know, the exact reasons for why they're doing it, I can't know. I don't know what their motivations are. I don't even know who they are, but I can tell that there is a centralized theme that continues to move in a centralized single direction. And you can draw conclusions from there. And that's, it's not nothing. It's not like we don't have any information. The very fact that we don't have any open discussion of these things is a very important piece of information. That alone is an important piece of information. It doesn't give you an answer to which side of the thing it comes down on. But if someone doesn't want you looking into, if you're not allowed to look in, if they make it difficult to look into, if they make it kookified, that, that alone is a very important piece of information. Of course, it could be a uh, smokescreen. And they use those things all the time. But then it just goes back to my original point, which all this time is you can't know. There's no reason to waste too much time in those areas because you're never, ever, ever going to get any proof that you could say is this is absolute proof because you have absolute proof of almost nothing. Even stuff you actually see, you don't know. That could be a hologram. Everybody's seen the killer whale jumping in the uh, is gymnasium. That's what they show the fucking schools. Imagine what they have. Uh, you can see a video. Okay, what does it prove? Could be a deep fake, could be anything. It's very hard to have so-called proof of anything. And 
as a result, the systems you use where you, you go through and you take what can be kind of called publicly that can then be sort of corroborated with action that's consistent with what you see. Okay, well, now you're getting something that's at least usable. Whether it's true or not, I don't know, but it's helpful. You know, it's helpful. It's practical because you have to build that stuff up. And most people, they're not comfortable with it. They want a story because that's what they're so used to. They want a story that's true and they want they want all these these explanations. If you tell someone something happens, well, why? Like, dude, we're never going to know why. What does it matter? Is it happening? The spray is a classic example. They spray me all the damn time. As soon as I bring that up to someone who doesn't know, well, why would they do that? Okay. Go see if they're spraying first, okay? If they're spraying, does it matter why they're doing it? Well, to some degree, but it's much more important questions are how much are they spraying? What are they spraying? Who's paying for it? Why is it being covered up? All those things can be found out. Why they're doing it? I, I don't know. Go down the first few roads and then you'll find out. The Constitution, the Black nobility, the we're a corporation, not an organic con, all those things, they're just giant distractions ultimately that just they, they paralyze people and do both clear thinking and any kind of action that could actually help. Well, yeah. And then the thing is, you bring up the spraying. I reviewed an article in episode one of this show from 2016 on the tenets of the Fourth Industrial Revolution published at General Electric's website that was on the employee blog, basically prepping these people for uh, whatever crazy technology they were about to tell them to build. And they talk about geoengineering right in there. Klaus Schwab's got it written into his books. You know, China's admitted to cloud seeding. John Brennan, our former CIA director, is on video talking about it. So people want to argue over... Uh, uh, well, what's the mixture and uh, the, the steam in the air? And I'm like, dude, stop playing semantics. They admit to geoengineering. Now, the other thing is, you know, it's funny that you mentioned people want this complete story. A lot of people get hooked on, they want to look under every rock and find every boogeyman. And, and I'm sitting here going, look, we don't even have to look into any conspiracy theories. This is not a conspiracy. That's more than two people meeting in a room in secret to try to achieve a common outcome. They meet at the World Economic Forum, they meet at Bilderberg, and then they put their videos right on YouTube for you to watch. Like, there is no conspiracy. Elon Musk goes on Joe Rogan in 2018, 50 million people watch it, and he sits there. Now, people were stoned out of their mind taking mushrooms and smoking DMT, because that's what Rogan tells all the kids to do when they watch his show. But you're sitting there watching Musk literally talking about drilling a hole in your skull and putting a Bluetooth device into your head. Like what other boogeymen do people need? I don't need to right. know if this stems from the black nobility. I know that Elon Musk wants to put a chip in my head and you sit there and go, well, MAGA, 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 he's a great guy because he tweeted that he wanted to lower gas prices. Right. And then, and then they go, but where's the bad guys? He is the bad guy. What are you talking about? Yeah, it's it's very frustrating and in, 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 in a large measure. I, I tend to think the 80-20 rule is in effect that really 80% of the people, they're just, they're not reachable. And you don't need them um, because they'll follow. They're, they're followers. And so the 20% who you can kind of theoretically reach, I'm not saying we can reach them, but they're reachable. Uh, that's that's, I'd say, about all there is out there. And most of that 20% I'm never going to be able to reach or talk to, but they would be reachable. And there are plenty. It's plenty of people because 
that 80%, they go from, uh, you know, saying you got to wear a mask to because the mask is going to protect him and the vax is going to protect him to the vax. Of course, it doesn't protect you. Of course, you're still going to get it. You got to take more vaxes. And of course, the mask doesn't protect you. They just flip back and forth. It doesn't make any difference. They just repeat whatever it is they're kind of told to sort of the, the true NPCs of the world. And that's the bulk of them. And the people running things, they know that they manipulate that gigantic crowd and then they get them on their side. And it's really, really hard to, to, to fight a mob like that. It's really, really hard. You have to, you have to get a, a decent movement going. You have to get a significant number of people on your side and understand that that 80% don't waste much time trying to convince them. They will come over to your side as soon as you convince the other people and get the thing moving. Then they'll, mm -hmm. they'll just sway over. That's what they'll do. Oh, definitely. Now, to, to just put an end to this Constitution stuff, as you bring up a lot on your podcast, if there's people that still want to believe that uh, we're a constitutional republic and this government is looking to protect our freedom and our liberty, if you want to believe that that document, the original document, in any way is designed to protect our freedom, then you also have to understand and believe that that concept completely died during the Civil War, do you not? It's there's no way that's and it's precisely why I don't spend too much time trying to determine whether it was good intentions or bad intentions. Yeah, you know, I think it's most of the people who pushed for it were they didn't have good intentions. That's why they kept the, the record secret for decades and all this other stuff. But whatever it was, whatever the intentions, if it was intended as a freedom machine, a voluntary union of people who join together, uh, oh, it wasn't the people, it was the states, whatever it is, if some voluntary anything, it ended in the Civil War. It, there is absolutely no way that we have, since that time, had a country that's based upon a voluntary agreement of the people or the states in the country. It's not possible because there was a war fought to supposedly hold the union together, but that is a complete and total logical impossibility. You can't have a war to hold a voluntary union together of any sort. Whatever, however good your motives are, and that's, you, know, you get in that whole the complete load of crap about going down there to free the slaves. It's not what it was fought about. Uh, it's a very small portion of the Southerners even owned slaves. It's like 25% owned any slaves at all. And that's like, most of those people only own one slave and the difference between the slave and the person who was owning the slave in those circumstances wasn't very much. Uh, it was really like a poor day laborer kind of situation or a maid um, kind of slash butler. Only it was like 1% or something of the South or they owned the vast majority of the slaves. They own a bunch of slaves. So the idea that you could motivate a group of people to fight when 75% of them don't even own any slaves, but well, they're not going to, blow their house up and everything else for slavery when they don't even own a slave. They're more, they'd be more likely to turn and fight on the side of the North if they thought that was about it, if they thought they could improve their position. And again, it doesn't matter what the war is fought over. You want to go down there and fight to free slaves? Go ahead and do it. But don't, at the end of the day, then claim that we have a country that's a voluntary union and that voting matters and everything else. Because they voted to leave and left. If your vote counts for anything, and you can't vote to leave, then your vote doesn't actually count. 
Right. <laughs> just, there's no way around it. There's no way to avoid it. And that's why both sides, the red and the blue, always love on the Civil War and why if you go to the Washington, D.C., all you see is stupid Lincoln crap and all this stuff. And you see it on TV all the time. It's constantly referenced all the time. They have to turn that thing into something it wasn't. They have to keep people snowed about that event because that event is proof positive that we no longer have a constitution that has anything to do with liberty, freedom, and a voluntary union where there's consent of the people. It, it's just not possible. And what was the, the pivot point in your life, uh, you know, as an attorney, uh, as someone to study constitutional law? Like what, what was it? At what point was it? that you woke up. I mean, did you started on the side of on the right as a conservative and big then, time. Yeah. yeah. I was a big time constitutional conservative for decades, uh, all the way through law school and even out into my practice. And what changed me was one, once I started practicing, I got to see a lot of what the practice was really like. And it was really pretty terrible. Every single place I went, I saw a different kind of corruption uh, at every level. And so that started making me wonder, but when I finally got access to the internet, that's when I was able to actually get information that could sort of counter the standard stuff. And I started seeing these things that didn't make much sense. And then when a friend of mine gave me a copy of Lysander Spooner's No Treason, sent me to that, uh, there's been nothing left since then. I mean, it was in very short order. I pretty much read everything the guy had ever written. And that was constitutionally, that was kind of the absolute end of the line for me. And I've just spent years seeing that there's literally nothing to the constitutional conservative argument. Literally every single piece of it is just nonsense. And I, I, I shred it in my podcast. I mean, I, I think I, pretty much shred every kind of aspect of it. Because once you understand the fundamental deceptions that they're putting out there, like the idea that you consent to this government, um, once you understand where does that actually come from, when they tell you it's a contract, and then as a lawyer, I know what a contract is. This is not a contract. They tell you that they're your agent. Well, they're not your agent in any form or fashion. They don't meet any of the descriptions of them. And they, they talk about all these very vague things about consent and representation and freedom and limited government and this and that, the Supreme Court being a law of the land and all this crap. Uh, nobody would agree to any part of the system that we're told we live under. No rational person would agree to any of it unless they knew they were in the majority and would be able to use that system to get what they want. And since mine, almost every position I hold is a minority position, and most people hold many different positions that are minority positions. I happen to be unusual. The vast majority of my positions are minority positions. Probably every position I hold is probably a minority position. And most people aren't like that. Most people have, they get some of the stuff they kind of like from government and the other stuff they don't. And they, they kind of have some minority positions, but there's, there's literally no representation for a minority position in our system. There's none. I ask people all the time, how am I represented? <laughs> if I don't win the votes, then I don't get it. What good does it do me? And I constantly give people the example of the dinner, where if your friends kind of all want to go to eat dinner, there's four or five of you, 
and you don't really want to go where they want to go, uh, well, would you ever have a group of friends where they just decide to vote and then you have to go wherever they want? And they also voted that you also have to pay for their dinner. Um, would you consider that to be a voluntary arrangement you'd stay in? No, you wouldn't. But that's the position that I'm in all the time with the government. They have a group of people that vote to do things I don't agree to. And then they vote I have to pay for them. And then they tell me, they have the nerve to tell me, I've agreed to this situation and that if I don't like it, I have to leave because I have agreed to it. And that's the basis supposedly for the whole system. And so once your eyes are open to very fundamental questions, you see that the reason you never thought about it is because those questions are never asked. And they're never asked in the public because there are no answers. If you do ask those questions, the system falls apart. And they're never going to allow the system to, to fall apart by openly letting people debate the kinds of things that I talk about or that we're talking about here. This will no, have and, to marginalize it. And then they send the trolls and the shills and the bots after you on Twitter to call you a, uh, a Russian agent. I know there's a bunch of right. people that are always defending you. You're a Russian <laughs> agent because you figured out the truth that right. sheds light on this whole situation we're in right now where our government, let's just take your stuff and my stuff, our government is not protecting us from a worldwide technocracy that should be treated <laughs> as an outside invading force. Never mind these communists and cultural Marxists everyone's been afraid of. You literally have mad scientists, engineers that want to connect you to an AI hive mind, and our government not only isn't doing anything about it, they're funding it through InQtel, which is right. the CIA's hedge fund that invests in Silicon Valley, in which there's a website. You can go read it. This is not a secret. What gives no. our government the power to fund a hedge fund to <laughs> buy up tech companies, one, blackmail tech companies, strong arm tech companies, and then even start tech companies? I mean, Google Maps, Google Earth that people drive around with every day was a company called Keyhole started by InQtel. Like you're driving around with government GPS, CIA GPS in your car, and people sit here and they go, oh, this stuff isn't happening. You're crazy. I'm like, it's all around you. <laughs>